This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. Speaking of under-the-radar, we've had some transparency issues in Michigan for a long time, and it only seems like they are getting worse. That's right. Craig Monger, who was with the Detroit News, he is still doing the people's work trying to file and get those FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, requests back. He is here with us now to talk about his uh, his difficulties with getting those FOIAs answered. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. We're talking about right now about the length of time it's taking state agencies to get back to you. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. And this is really an issue that I think is the bedrock of our ability to provide transparency as reporters or as watchdogs when it comes to getting public records from government agencies, whether it is the state of Michigan, whether it's the city of Detroit, whether it's a local school organization, our ability to say, hey, we want to see this document that that you have and we want you to give it to us so we can look at it and tell people what it says. It's taking longer and longer periods of time to make that happen. Are we talking weeks? Are we talking months, years? I mean, you mentioned you're paying for these up front. How long is it taking you to get these back? Yeah, so I mean, I have a couple of document requests at the forefront of my mind. One of them is a, is a request related to, to nursing homes, which is a very hot button issue. It was a request that I put in actually in July of 2020. Whoa. We are now in July 2021, and I still don't have the documents that I paid for last summer. In another situation, I, I requested emails from a single day from the uh, current state health director. That request was made you know, months ago. They told me it would be 15 business days to get the emails from this single day. We are now going on 30 business days that it's taken them. I still don't have the documents. So these are the, the kind of, uh, you know, delays that I'm experiencing and others who, who do this are experiencing. Now, Craig, at the beginning of Governor Whitmer's administration and even on the campaign trail, she had said that transparency was a priority and that, you know, state agencies were going to answer these FOIA requests in timely manners. I mean, what has been going on with that? Why are we not really seeing that follow through? Yeah, I mean, we have myself and other uh, members of the media have experienced throughout the pandemic, essentially, and definitely in the first months of the pandemic, extensive delays in our ability to get records about the state's response to COVID-19. And, you know, kind of we expected that early on in the pandemic, you know, state workers were working from home. They had a lot of other important things to deal with that, you know, understandably could have delayed their ability to provide public records. But now over a year into this with infections waning uh, significantly, we're still experiencing the delays and it's mystifying and it's leaving me and I think other people to wonder how long are we going to be dealing with this fallout? And and there's nothing in the law. Again, I think this is something people just don't understand and it's a huge hole. There's nothing in the law that requires government agencies to provide documents by a certain deadline. We're basically at their mercy to, to hand these documents over. Greg, you mentioned that there's really nothing in the law that gives time limits for FOIA requests for agencies. Is there any sort of mechanism or anything with teeth when it comes to them responding in some sort of a timely fashion? Or are they just allowed to take years? Yeah, so so the way the way the law works for people who might want to file a FOIA request or are curious about it, like that that question is when you 
request documents, there's a very specific timeline for when the state or any government agency has to respond. Essentially, they have uh, a, a very short number of business days. They can ask for like a 10-day extension on that. So within weeks, they have to respond to you and say whether they have the records and how much they're going to charge you to go find the records. Once you get past that stage, that initial initial stage, we either have the records or we don't. Here's what we're going to charge you. You're essentially at the whim of the government agency. Even after you write them a check, often it can be a large check. It's up to them to, to determine, and they there's nothing pressuring them to go faster, how long it's going to take them to go find the records, have an attorney go through them, vet them to make sure there's not personal information in there that has to be redacted or something else that they have to take out. And that process can literally take a year. That process can take months. And it, it is, you know, something because there's no law setting a time frame, it's something that uh, restricts our ability to get access to information in a timely fashion. We've talked over and over and over. It's like Groundhog Day about reforming our Freedom of Information Act in Michigan. Uh, usually it gets widespread bipartisan support, sometimes I believe unanimous support in the state house, almost assuredly uh, dies uh, in the state senate every time. It, it really, it's like, you know, you see it happen <laughs> over and over again. But uh, talk about how those attempts may have addressed some of these issues, Craig. Have they uh, really put limits on time and given people more power to make sure that the government was responding in a timely manner and what would be the fix here yeah so there's the the conversation in the legislature has been primarily about whether we should subject the governor's office and lawmakers as a body to these open records requests there's been less conversation about this subject of how long it should take them to respond should there be some some type of deadline put on them because this is a it's an extremely difficult conversation like i i acknowledge that up front because you have small government agencies you might have a township that has a one part-time employee who does these type of requests and if you put a deadline on the state health department which has tons of employees that same deadline could impact this tiny township and you know as soon as you propose something you're going to have the government or the organizations that represent the townships or represent municipalities coming forward and saying hey that's not doable because we got this one township that has one worker that shows up once a week and we can't do it in a in you know a more timely fashion so it's a you're dealing with this wide array of government agencies it makes it difficult to set some type of guideline that's gonna you know cover all of them and then every request is a unique situation in some ways and i understand that too there might be something that comes up that delays you know one request that doesn't happen with another request so there's all these factors that play into it i know that there are lawmakers who have you know sent me messages saying you know this is an issue that i i think we need to work on but so far there hasn't been any real movement on on, on any of this and just to be clear for people who don't know, I mean, you're this isn't free. No. So that's another barrier that I think a lot of reporters tend to run into is sometimes the agencies charge hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars to retrieve and send these records. And their big reason for doing that, they claim, is because of all the hours that it will take for an employee to carry out these records. Is that also something that you are running into? Talk about, you know, how much, how much you've already put in to these requests that you have not gotten yet. 
Yeah. So, I mean, in, in both of the requests that I mentioned previously, I mean, it was more than at least $400 for each of them. You know, there are other people that have paid thousands of dollars for requests. I mean, this is, you know, people complain about the amount of money that, that, that they cost, but we also understand that, you know, it's going to cost money to do this work, to go find the documents. And uh, some of it seems exorbitant, but, you know, we're trying to, we're using services. We want to make it work. We want to get this information out there. So if that's what it takes, we do it. Uh, the, you know, I, I, I think the frustrating part is like, if you're ordering takeout, you pay for the takeout, they give you a time, and then you go pick up the takeout. The situation that we're dealing with now is essentially you place your takeout order and it might, you know, you might go get it in three weeks from now. Like, well, am I still going to be hungry three weeks from now or a year from now? Like, do I, maybe I'm going to develop a food allergy and I don't want that anymore. <laughs> like, it's just this bizarre situation where I've got to pay for my meal now and I'm going to get it sometime in the future when someone decides to make it. I mean, it's, 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 it's a financial transaction that doesn't mirror anything else that I've ever experienced in the real world. To be fair, during the pandemic, I had a couple of delivery experiences that were along those lines. <laughs> Fortunately, I did not develop the food allergy, but it was frustrating. So I understand. I, I, I empathize, Craig. Um, now, I think that when we talk about these things as journalists, often um, there could be a feeling from the more general public, like this is sort of navel-gazy, like, you know, journalists mm -hmm. are talking about journalist problems. But this affects everyone. Uh, talk a little bit about why you think people should really be paying attention to this, even if they're not filing FOIA requests on a regular basis or ever. Yeah, I mean, it, the, this is how we uncover stories that change laws, that shine light in areas of darkness that we would not get to see in if we did not have this open records law. We found out about, you know, Governor Whitmer's, you know, separation agreements with state officials that had not been released by Governor Whitmer's administration through open records requests. There's all this murkiness about what happened. And no matter where you stand politically, uh, you know, you probably want to know what happened with these nursing home policies. Maybe they worked. Maybe they didn't work. We can all argue that it's in the public interest to figure out what happened. And the way we're going to figure out what happened is by getting these records requests filled and letting people who are looking at them in a nonpartisan fashion with the uh, you know, intent to inform people to go through the documents. We can't do that if the documents aren't being released and they're being held over and held over and held over. And in some ways, you know, this goes back to all of the conspiracy theories we're hearing and all of the misinformation that's out there in this void of honest and accurate, detailed information. Conspiracy theories can come in and fill the void with stuff, stuff we can't prove or disprove because we don't have the information. I mean, that's where we are at this point in history. You know, I would argue that the access to real concrete information is more important than it has ever been. And it's just a bizarre situation that it's taking more and more work to uncover this these details to get these documents at this point in history. It's, it's bizarre. Craig, before we let you go, there was something else that happened recently with the state Senate uh, that kind of involves transparency. The state Senate wanted to start charging reporters $20 uh, f to go along with their passes 
to be on the floor. And being on the floor means that you have better access to uh, senators and to people that you need to interview. What happened there? Yeah. So the, the earlier this year, I mean, a couple of months ago, actually, the state Senate said, if you want to be a reporter and you want to cover Senate session from the floor where you, Jake and you, Shana, have both done this previously, that's where most of the reporters cover the legislative action from is on the floor. Uh, the Senate said, you've got to pay $20 to get your floor pass. This is, you know, this breaks with tradition of what's gone on in the Michigan legislature for a very long time where it's basically been, if you're a member of the media, you work for a reputable media organization, you get to come on the floor, you fill out a piece of paper and we let you on because we realize that it's important to provide the public access to monitor what's happening uh, as we create laws that impact everyone. All of a sudden, the Senate said, this is the, I think the person who made the decision or implemented the decision was the secretary of the Senate's office, Margaret O'Brien. They said, if you don't get this pass, you're going to have to cover session from the gallery, which is where the members of the public sit, you're above, you don't really have the same access to monitor what's going on. It's just, a, I mean, what do you all think about this? I mean, you, you've, been, you've done this, you've worked it, you've been, been on the floor. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, to me, it was one of those things where I could see the initial sort of public reaction being like, Psh, 20 bucks. OK, like it's not like 20 bucks each time. It's, you know, 20 bucks for I think it would have been a year, four years, something like that. But for me, the reaction as a reporter was more of like the symbolicness of it. And sort of yeah. it's like we're putting up an additional hurdle to you, the reporters, to get the access that you need. And at a time when we are just it, particularly coming out of COVID, when there has been a, it's been very difficult to get that get time with with lawmakers they've been very difficult to get in touch with because you know they have they've all they've had to do is just not answer their phone because it wasn't safe to meet mm -hmm. with them in person um so to me it seemed like okay we're we're starting to you know roll back a lot of restrictions and we're starting to get more access but then you're going to put this barrier up to get access to these people that we need um so that to me to me it, it's more of that sort of symbolic frustration yeah, sort of along the lines of what Shana said, I, I feel like thinking back to when I was in the press corps and in a in an organization that was in Lansing all the time, and that was the beat, is like, well, you know, 20 bucks for a four-year session, that's not a huge hit to, to us, uh, and, but it is, it is a lot about the symbolism. But now, one of the, the first things that I thought of was sometimes, and I haven't done this in a while, but I, especially the first couple of years after I was out of there, mm -hmm. I would go up to Lansing intermittently, like once every three or four months to cover something, to get someone on the floor, to see yeah. what was going on. And in those cases, I would have to get a, a, a single pass just to go in for the day. Um, and I wouldn't know necessarily if I was going up until that day, if I had the opportunity or not. Uh, and so my first thought was, what happens to reporters who are not there every day? Uh, because, I mean, they do critical work that they require that access as well to do their job the way that they need to do it. So um, that was a huge question in my mind. What would happen to reporters from places that aren't Lansing, but also national reporters coming in? Um, you know, would they be able to do that kind of work anymore? Yeah. And, and you know, and people might say, why does it matter if you're on the floor or not? And it's a great question. 
the main benefit of being on the floor is that's where you get to actually ask questions of lawmakers. They bring lawmakers over to the table the media sits at. These are the lawmakers that might sponsor the big bill of the day that are the movers and shakers doing something. You get to ask them questions. You get to hold them accountable. Um, one of the only opportunities, as Shana said, during the COVID pandemic where you might be able to get face to face with the lawmaker happens on the floor. And for a while, I completely agreed with what Shana was saying when this was first announced, I believe in June, my initial reaction was one, I don't want to pay the $20. Something feels incredibly wrong about this. And two, no one's going to take my side in this (laughs) because I was like, people are going to say, uh, why don't you just pay the $20? And, And some of my colleagues in the press corps basically said, you can't charge the Detroit news, the $20 and just move on from And I was like, you know, that's fair. That was fair. Uh, Initially, I was sitting in the gallery, not paying the money, not going on the floor. And the Senate staff, I'm thankful for this, were having people do the, the meeting with reporters outside the chamber so I could still participate. Then there came a day where they said, we're no longer gonna do that for you. You either pay the $20, you're not gonna participate in these interviews with people. And that's when I got very frustrated and was basically like, I gotta ask people if they're concerned about this. So uh, it's it's quite a quite an ordeal that the Senate is now reverse course on, I should know. Craig Mauger is with the Detroit News. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening. 